Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timmery from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Happy feast day of St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, also known as St. Edith Stein, as I commonly refer to her. She took the name of Teresa Benedict of the Cross when she became a Carmelite sister. Prior to that, she lived an incredible life. She was actually born into a Jewish family. And being raised Jewish, she ended up for two decades actually living as an atheist and studying philosophy and even at the doctoral level. And eventually, after reading the writings of St. Teresa of Avila, she actually ended up converting to Catholicism and becoming a Catholic nun. Her story is phenomenal. If you don't know her, she is a 20th century saint as she actually died at Auschwitz in the gas chambers alongside her biological sister, who also became a Carmelite nun as well. Now, one of the reasons why I in particular love St. Edith Stein is because she has not just an incredible story, but she, in the midst of the 20th century, at a time when we've commented on it before, the bloodiest century in recorded human history, she spoke in a particular way to what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And without looking at her work, uh, it's hard to see how important it was that it be addressed at that time in the church as we were on really kind of the the doorstep of the sexual revolution in the midst of already a growing women's movement that at the time was still pro-life but ended up being hijacked by a radical pro-abortion and anti-woman's movement at the end of the day. And that's what feminism is today. It's to say that women don't matter. It's to say that babies should be killed, that we should be freed from our bonds and shackles of fertility. But St. Edith Stein goes so much deeper than talking about things such as birth control, a woman's right to vote, and not that those topics aren't topics that should be discussed, but she talks about what it means to be a woman, the differences between men and women. And I think this dovetails well into our series on Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, which is why I'm going to include this in the Theology of the Body series, because at the same time as Pope St. John Paul II was writing love and responsibility. At the same time as he was transitioning into becoming Pope and influencing the various councils that occurred at that time, there was the writing in the life of St. Edith Stein, a counterpart, although I don't believe they ever met, uh, according to any recorded history, yet they very well may have even encountered each other's writings. It actually, I've never really drilled down on this topic, but I've heard that it's believed that Pope St. John Paul II would have read potentially St. Edith Stein's work as a philosopher, as she was so influential. What I want to do today is cover a little bit different of a topic of St. Edith Stein's. If you've known me over the years, I often unpack some of her work. 
But one of the areas that has been intriguing to me, and little did I know that I would end up having daughters, I always thought I would have boys and likely all boys. It's just deeply held belief I had. Isn't it funny when we make or think we have plans? <laughs> it was just a thought I always had. Uh, but at the end of the day, I've ha I have two girls. And ironically, St. Edestein doesn't just talk about the importance of women, the getting to the psyche, the depth of the spirituality of women, but she also wrote quite a bit about forming children, especially young women. And in part of that development of who and what a woman is and also unpacking who, who, or should I say how we develop young women, there's this transition of understanding how well the adult woman needs to be formed in forming children. And so we're going to unpack this in just a moment here, but I do want to put a little bit of a teaser out here because joining me in just a few minutes today on Trending will be Paula Scanlon. Now, if you don't know who she is, she has really taken the media by storm over the last couple of months because she is, or was, should I say, one of the teammates of a man who calls himself Leah Thomas, who competed at Penn State. She was on the swim team at Penn State, on the women's swim team at Penn State, and she's sharing her story. She's Catholic. She's speaking out against men in women's sports, and she's telling her story about being a teammate of so-called Leah Thomas, who is a man and competed in and with and amongst women. So join me for that in just a few minutes here on Trending. Before we get to Paula, I want to unpack a little bit of St. Edith Stein's story, uh, or should I say commentary on the topic of emotional training. And I think this is relevant even to the transgender topic we're going to be discussing in just a little bit. And it's interesting because St. Edith Stein says that emotion that emotions have been seen as the center of a woman's soul. Just uh, a kind of rapport that women often receive is that women are more emotional and men are more logical. I'm not going to comment on that per se right now, but emotion is fundamental to who we are as human beings, and women tend to be, as the, as the way goes, we say more in touch with their emotions. Now, I think that we as a society are very out of touch with our emotions and ruled by our emotions in a very unhealthy way. As we know and understand our lower faculties and that includes our emotions are supposed to be brought into alignment with reality. So you can experience an emotion, but that doesn't mean that you should act on it. We live in a culture where people often say, well, what, how do you feel about that? To which I often respond to people and say, well, I know how I feel, but I'd rather share how I think what I think about that. And often, especially here on Trending, what the church teaches about that, because what is truth? I think that's a challenge of the 21st century, aligning reality in our feelings. And they often won't align. We'll struggle for them to align, but it's important that as human beings, that we're addressing how our feelings, our reactions to things line up with reality and how we bring right order to our emotional life. And so when the comments made that the emotions have been seen as a central of women's soul of a woman's soul i think saint edith stein has key insights here she says emotional formation will have to be central in the formation of women she says such emotional responses demonstrate the conflict of the individual with the world and also within ourselves that's significant because I think that's the exact challenge when it comes to our emotions and our feelings is that they're directly in contrast with two things, the world and truth, but more than that, also ourselves and trying to live out 
express and communicate what we want. It's kind of that whole idea of do as I say, not as I do. Emotions actually have a significant impact on how we train up and raise the next generation. In fact, St. Edith Stein talks about in guiding young people to even do things such as perceive beauty and goodness, that the person who a young child is watching and learning about beauty and goodness is actually going to be taught by the teacher in terms of how that teacher in his or her enthusiasm inspires enthusiasm. So how we as adults teach those who are learning from us, whom we have an impression upon, how we teach them isn't just a matter of, okay, this is what's true, this is what's false, but it actually matters what our emotional response is and what we enthuse in others, how we bring about and inspire enthusiasm, as St. Edith Stein indicates. And so what she's getting at is how important emotional training is. I have heard some people especially over the last 10 years, talk about this from the perspective of emotional integrity. Sarah Swafford is someone who has spoken quite a bit about this in her work, especially with regard to dating and relationships, that we have emotional integrity, that we're not just being taken away as women by sentimentality within relationships, but that there's virtue at the core of who we are and how we are living. And that requires extraordinary extraordinary graces and self-discipline. Grace is only possible, only make this possible. Only grace makes possible this level of self-control and self, um, I think I would say what's really important is self-possession, self-awareness. It's interesting because something Edith Stein says is that emotional reactions invoke action. I'll say that again. She says emotional reactions invoke action. And this is true. People today are very responsive to stories, testimonies, movies, a story is so powerful. Women are powerful. I think this is part of the reason why for some people, quote, radical, I call it radical feminism that is really anti-woman is so convincing because a woman shares her sob story about how she feels that she was attacked less than in unequal, not capable of keeping up with the other people. And even if the story is completely illogical, or even if things are true or false, you know, even if you can or can't discern it, people are impacted by story. And so they say, well, who am I to judge? Who am I to say that that's not true or that we shouldn't champion this argument, this position someone's taken? And so this is where I think as people of faith, we have the responsibility to step forward and speak truth and live the truth. And that has to do with emotion, how we respond to what's happening in the society. So I'll give you an example, because we're going to be talking in just a few moments about the transgender issue. If you're not aware, I'm really excited. Joining me in a few minutes will be Paula Scanlon. And she's going to share her story because she was the teammate at Penn State to the man who is known as Leah Thomas, the man who competed with women on a woman's, women's team and, and interacted and changed and got dressed in the women's locker room at Penn State. She's going to share her story. How is this related to emotional development? Well, here's something I see very often. People who know the truth with regard to LGBTQ ideology, what the church teaches, why there's only such a thing as male and female, not male or female you choose, but male or female, as God created us. And people who understand that the only way for sexual complementarity to occur 
is through the biological reality of men and women in that complementarity. But then what happens is I'll see people who know the truth, stand by it, and then suddenly they know someone or they hear some story and they're moved by, well, this person, you know, experiences this. And who am I to say? Love is love. I have a family member who's struggling with same-sex attraction or I have a niece who has suddenly come out as transgender and wants to be called by a boy's name. And I always say, well, hold on a second. I understand you have these family members. I have them too. I've had them for years. I've had them my whole life. I love them deeply. However, how we respond to that matters. And our emotional response is significant. Emotionally showing, yes, I still love you, but also intellectually and sometimes verbally, but not always being able to say there is such a thing as truth still. And sometimes we might not always have the opportunity to say that to people in our lives who are living adverse lifestyles, but we don't have to condone or embrace or encourage your lifestyle we can still show love while standing by truth and so one of the people who i would really say is standing by this as we're talking about saint Ina stein i think it's so fitting that we'll be talking to her today is the teammate of a man who calls himself leah thomas now leah thomas competed for years at the collegiate level as a male swimmer he wasn't successful he i'm not trying to be mean but didn't really place. He placed very, very low if you even look at rankings that are that low in terms of competing in swimming. Now, he decided at a certain point that he wanted to compete with women and his name's Will Thomas, but he started to call himself Leah Thomas and expected everyone else to do so. Now, Paula Scanlon is one of the young women who competed on the same team at Penn State as so-called Leah Thomas. And she's here joining us to share her story. Paula, welcome to Trending. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. And I'm so excited to unpack some of your story. I know you've joined others in speaking out, in particular University of Kentucky swimmer Riley Gaines, who actually got kicked off the pedestal stool, kicked out of first place when... Will Thomas, known as Linga Thomas, uh, took that particular title that they were competing for. Now, you came out with your story publicly just a couple months ago uh, as you were anonymous for some time. I know you're also Catholic, and I'm excited to unpack the story. I'd like to begin at the beginning, Paula. Let's talk about how this all started and when you first kind of started to approach this issue in your own experience in the swim team back in 2019. Yeah, so we had a team meeting one day, um, and it was just the women's team, which was abnormal since we did a lot of things with the men's team. And I noticed that someone named Will was stay, had stayed back after the men's team meeting was over. And I thought that was interesting. I was wondering uh, why a men's team member was still there. And our coach came in to start the meeting and said, well, this is your meeting. And at this moment, Will announced to the team that he was transgender and would be transitioning to the women's team. And it was, that was it. There was no other things. Um, and then somebody asked, what are your pronouns now? And Will responded, please call me she, her, but did not announce a name change. So we, for several months, had a person by the name of Will or William that we had to refer to with she her pronouns i know you um, shared so was, go ahead i know you yeah. shared he actually led part of that meeting he's the one who told you that he was joining the team can you explain how that happened how that was kind of an odd situation in that meeting 
Yeah, well, he led the entire meeting. Uh, our coach didn't speak. Our coach just stood there and said, this is this is Will's meeting, and um, proceeded to tell us that, um, again, they would be transitioning, and, and it would be a year from now, and they started taking their hormones back in May of 2019, uh, and, you know, the, the rule is a year, and that was it. And our coach just said, okay, everybody, uh, go to your lanes and get in the pool. It was a quick five-minute meeting. It wasn't anything. There was no question time. There was none of that. It was just true. And then uh, in a few months, so Will was still competing for the men's team in that year because the, the policy is one year that you have to uh, take the hormones. So at a certain point, then Will started swimming in a women's suit after a few months. Um, but that entire year of 2019, 2020, Will was still changing with the men's team and still on the men's team. Why do you think your coach didn't lead the meeting, but instead just gave the platform to Will and that experience to let you know, hey, a year from now, I'll be competing with you guys. I'm now transgender. Why do you think that occurred in that way? I've never really thought about that, actually. You're the first person who's ever asked me this. And, I, and I've been talking about this for a long time, privately and publicly. I do think part of it is it was definitely uncomfortable for our coaching staff, uh, for sure. And I think our coach just wanted it to be a team thing and a team conversation. At least that's how I interpreted it. And that also, um, they always say, you know, like, your personal decisions are all are, are your own, right? If Will deciding to be a woman or whatever is their own decision. And I think it's also uncomfortable to talk about somebody else's big decision like that so I definitely think the coach wanted it to come from Will. Do you think your coach was uncomfortable with it and was maybe being told by someone higher up that he I hear is your coach male or female? Yeah he was a male. Yeah. yeah was your coach maybe do you think he was uncomfortable and maybe didn't want to address it himself and was avoiding it and so just said okay I'll let this man have the platform and share this news because I'm not necessarily on board. Yeah, definitely. But again, um, I don't know specifically the conversations that they had prior to the announcement or how it was first raised. Right? I don't know how many months my coach knew before we were all told. Um, I assume it was a decent amount of time before we were told. So I'm, I'm not sure what the reaction was, but I do know that he really had no choice but to be accepting because, again, these institutions, these universities, they will just put in a coach that will be accepting and will be comfortable with it. Right. So unfortunately, it puts these coaches in really challenging situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Paula Scanlon's joining me today on Trending. She's a swimmer who swam at Penn State alongside the man who calls himself Leah Thomas, who competed for years at Penn State as Will Thomas. Now share with me, Paula, because one of the most disturbing elements of this entire situation while yes it is very upsetting that he's taking women's titles competing against women but i rule it back just in terms of a comfort and safety level and that has to do with the locker room can you talk to me about the whole locker room situation i know at a certain point he was given access to have a locker change use the restroom in that area what was that entire experience like paula yeah, so the season before, um, or I guess two seasons, because um, our the Ivy League canceled all um, athletic competition in the 2020 to 21, 2021 season, so there was a, a kind of a, an additional gap year after Leah had announced the transition. 
Um, so in the year after we had that team meeting in September of 2019, Will, at the time, still Will, was on the men's team and was changing in the men's locker room, but identified as a woman. And in that time period, some people on the team wanted Will to become comfortable with the women's team, so they would invite Will into the locker room. Uh, very occasionally, but would give all of us a warning. They would say something like, oh, is everybody decent? Like, Will's going to come in now. Um, what? For, you know, it was very interesting. And I, I said, oh, okay. And so then I assumed that because there was a warning then that Will would not have a permanent locker in our locker room. And so just to be clear, when- though, because I want to make sure I'm understanding this. So before he was competing with you guys, is that correct? This was already occurring yes. that people would say, hey, Will's coming into locker room. Is everyone decent? Is that what was happening? Yes, and at this point had already announced that their desired pronouns were she, her, and was going to be transitioning to our team, and was identified as a woman. All of that. All that was true, but we got a warning. Uh-huh. And now, I, remember if, la- I remember laughing. I thought that was right. so funny. And, and, and then eventually, when Will did eventually get a locker, Leah at the time, got a locker in our locker room, there was no warning. Now, may I ask, was your coach ever allowed into the women's locker room? Were any of the fathers ever allowed into the women's locker rooms? So we had this tradition that before the first home meet of every season, our coach would come in and a guy and he would come in to the locker room and we would do this like we would just read off basically what everyone was what everyone's events were and then everyone would cheer. It was just a team tradition. But again, it was like it was very clear everybody we'd make sure every single person was completely clothed when this happened. Yeah, exactly. And so, obviously, when this tradition happened after Leah had transitioned and was now in our locker room, I remember, I under my breath, not so quietly, when we were given that warning, hey, coach is going to come in. And I said, why, why does it matter? Why do we even need a warning? We already changed with men. <laughs> I think, like, one or two girls heard me say that. Because it was just so, it was so ridiculous. It was just, right. it, it's, you either, you either say that they're a woman and they should just come in the locker room or whatever, or you don't. And it's, you can't be halfway consistent on these things. You either fully buy into it, you fully believe that it doesn't matter what your parts are, you are a woman, you are this, you are that, which I, which I don't agree with, or you don't. And there's just logical fallacies here with that, and it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's uncomfortable. So how did this progress? So that had to have been so shocking. I'm glad you were already kind of verbally out loud, just kind of making comments about how odd this was. What was everyone else's reaction in this early phase of just randomly when he's not even on the women's team yet, that he has the so-called right to just enter into the women's locker room at that time? Yeah, so all of those were were given warnings, so it was just a little bit uncomfortable, but again, we were all pre-warned. So that was was in the season season announced. And then... Can I just ask, why was he there? What was the point in him being in the room? Was it just... So somebody somebody wanted... Um, there was a girl... There were some girls on the team who were very, very, very supportive of this. And they wanted to start inviting Will. Again, still Will at the time. Hadn't changed their name yet. Wanted to start inviting Will to women's team events. So mm. whether that be the team dinners that we had. Whether that be something we were doing in the locker room. Whether that would be... Um, just any social event you can think of that our team might have done. Understood. So, wa- sorry to interrupt you, but that was is so no. significant to me and kind of walking through how that was occurring. 
can you tell me then what was the next phase after he's coming into your locker room when you're after Will Thomas known as Lena Thomas is coming into your locker room what happened next once he was officially on the team or did something else happen before then no so uh, we had a season off because again the Ivy League canceled our season from 2020 to 2021 and then in the fall of 2021 we knew that Leah was going to be on the team and we just showed up for the beginning of school and Leah had a locker there like everybody else. There was no additional discussion. We were previously told maybe Leah would be changing elsewhere. Um, but that obviously didn't happen. And it was just there. There was no no questions. Sorry, this person's part of the team. They're going to have a locker in the locker room with everyone else. And that's that was what we had to deal with. I want to come back talking to you about what it was like actually sharing a locker room with Leah Thomas. If you're just joining us, Paula Scanlon's joining me today on Trending. She was one of the teammates at the University of Pennsylvania with Will Thomas, who is a man who has been going by Leah Thomas in the public sphere for the last couple of years over the controversy surrounding men in women's sports in the name of so-called transgenderism. Paula Scanlon's joining me to share her story. We'll be right back to talk a little bit more about the experience in the locker room, why men shouldn't compete in women's sports, and much more. Again, that's Paula Scanlon, who competed side-by-side with Leah Thomas at the University of Pennsylvania. I'll be right back here on Trending. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Joining me today on Trending is Paula Scanlon. She is courageous and I am so proud of her. A young woman who is using her voice to share what she experienced. And I know the media mob a lot of people don't like what she's saying. Paula, here's the deal. Paula was a swimmer at Penn on the women's swim team alongside a man who changed his name to Leah Thomas and stole trophies and titles from people such as Riley Gaines, who competed at the University of Kentucky, and many others. Now, why am I talking to Paula Scanlon? Well, she's coming out over the last couple of months sharing publicly her experience, everything from being in the locker room alongside Will Thomas, known as Leah Thomas, to why men shouldn't be competing in women's sports. And one of the areas I really wanted to focus in on is what happened in the locker room. There's a lot to be said about men competing in women's sports, but there's a lot to be said about the discomfort, the dishonor, and the lack of just transparency that happened in the locker room. Uh, You shared, Paula, I had never heard this, that before... Will was even competing with the women the year prior. He was already being allowed when he was still identifying as a man with a male name. He was being allowed into the women's locker room at random. At that at that time, yes, was some announcement, but that was never done. There was a once-a-year event that occurred where the coach would come in at the beginning of the season to talk to the women's team, but that was it, and it was an event. It wasn't an ongoing basis. So you shared that by the time you guys entered into your 2021 to 2022 swim season, that now Will Thomas going, I'm assuming he's going by Leah Thomas at this point, now has a locker room with your locker with you guys and is now changing in your locker room. What was that entire experience like? And if I can just ask bluntly, because I know everyone's wondering, was he exposing himself in front of you guys? What what was happening in the locker room? Yeah, so for me personally, I was definitely very uncomfortable. And so I tried to keep my distance as much as possible. 
I never really looked over at Leah while Leah was undressing. I never really looked at anyone after this. I really just kind of quite literally stuck my head into my locker and changed. Um, That was very much my experience. And, I mean, yeah, and it it was, you know, in the moment, it was just something we had to get through. And being removed from it, now I see... I see really how how messed up that was and how it was really unacceptable. But I also got lucky. Oh, I mean, that's horrific. I mean, I'm just, I'm sorry, but just thinking about you're having to lean your head into your locker, avoid looking at anyone and humiliatingly get changed in that room. That's horrific. Yeah, and I was fortunate enough to actually have a locker that was further away from Leah than some of the other people. Um, the best way to explain it is there's kind of two different sections to the locker room. Everyone can still kind of see everyone, but um, there's two sections, and I was fortunate enough to be placed in a section that was further away. But I do have a teammate who is also Catholic by chance, and she actually got the locker next to Leah, and she changed in the family bathroom in the hallway oh. for most of the season, and then the rest of the season she changed in the bathroom stall. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow, and that, I and so I, bad. and I didn't even realize. I mean, I, I did kind of know in the moment that she was doing that, but I never really processed that it was actually every single day and every single time she got changed that she mm. was making that decision. So, mm. um, that's just some examples of some of the stuff we had to deal with. And again, a lot of it is you just want to get through it. You don't really think about what you can do, and and you view being on the swim team as a privilege in some ways and, and in some ways it is right not everyone can play a sport in college mm-hmm. and so you view it as oh this is just another sacrifice that i need to make but mm-hmm. this is not a normal sacrifice to have to undress in front of men now was leah thomas was he actually getting dressed in front of everyone in the locker room yeah and i think i think from from what i will remember i think leah did a, a good job of covering the bottom half of their body again i really truly can't speak to how it was because i very much never really wanted to look over and if i accidentally did it was very traumatic frankly um so i tried not to but i think that to be fair to lee i think leah did actually do a a decent job of covering Mm -hmm. up the bottom half it sounds like you're very traumatized in that experience too that you're trying to avoid any potential of being exposed or just like not not thinking about what you're seeing as well you know not to make light of this but i'm uncomfortable even in locker rooms when people are already getting undressed at the gym in places i I can't imagine if someone of the opposite sex is there so tell me you're there paula and if you're just joining us you're listening to trending with timory paula scanlon she was a swimmer at penn alongside leah thomas and was there for the whole transition when he was known as Will Thomas, still identifying as a man. You've got to listen to the full story, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. If you've not been with us, the podcast will be available later on. Now, if you were to speak up or one of your other teammates, and maybe some of you did at the time about the discomfort in the locker room, what was Penn's response? Yeah, they told us that Leah is a member of the team and is on the women's team. And the rules allow Leah to be on the women's team. They're not breaking any rules. And so if someone's a part of the team, they have to have all the privileges that everyone else on the team does. And and to be fair, I think that is actually consistent. I, I, I think that is true. I think I would be offended if I was told I had to change in the hallway. So I do understand why, you know, if you're going to be a part of the team, you have to have all the same privileges. 
but I, I don't I, I obviously don't think Leah should have been on the team to begin with. But that's mm-hmm. a different discussion. But it, it is consistent that they obviously made the decision that they had to. Let's talk a little bit about your teammates' response. So in general, here you are, you're competing with a man who is beating out other people for titles. Example is Riley Gaines, who's been speaking out publicly from the University of Kentucky, among others. And here he is competing. What was your athletic department's perspective? Because you sounded, along with other teammates of yours, terrified to speak up, to say anything, and you're uncomfortably undressing alongside this man. And it sounds like an atmosphere of bullying and fear. You mentioned privilege. It's almost as if you're being treated as if it's a privilege to even be there. So just kind of shut up. Don't say anything and put up with this. I mean, quite frankly, it's sexual um, sexual. It's a form of sexual harassment that was occurring in the women's locker room, which is scandalous at a point in 2022, 2021 that this was occurring. Yeah, uh, a lot of people would talk about it only one-on-one to each other. It was very much one of those things where if you brought it to anyone higher up, they would just tell you that you were transphobic. They, uh, Once it kind of blew up in the media and there was a lot of attention, they did have a meeting to us to discourage us from going to the media. And in that meeting, they told us, basically, nothing you guys say or do will change this. Leah will be on this team no matter what. Leah on this swimming on this team is a non-negotiable. And it doesn't matter what your opinions are about it because there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. So it was very much just that was the way they shut down the difference of opinion was saying, okay, if, if you want to have your different opinion, that's fine, but there's nothing we can do about the situation and it's going to mm-hmm. happen to you. And a lot of girls got very discouraged by that and, and did stop voicing their concerns even, even amongst uh, other team members. Wow. So you guys were even afraid to speak one-on-one about what was happening at that point. Yeah, and there were a lot of people I would talk to about it previously that uh, after that meeting, they uh, flipped or flipped around a little bit, and I couldn't even confide in them anymore. Interesting. Interesting. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That's Paula Scanlon. She was a swimmer at Penn alongside Leah Thomas in the midst of this entire transgender controversy. Uh, talk to me about what your thoughts are on the transgender issue in general. Yeah, I definitely think that it's... Something that's been really challenging, my views have changed a lot on on this, kind of going through this. I think that at the beginning, I wanted to be loving and accepting and caring because as as a Catholic and as a Christian, that's something that, you know, I, I take very seriously and I, and I do care for people. Um, and I wanted to understand maybe why they were feeling the way that they were and this and that. But as it kind of expanded, I saw that it was really infringing on on our rights and enforcing their beliefs onto us. That if we even slipped up one time accidentally and called somebody the wrong pronouns, we were we were name called, we were um, just screamed at. And uh, I saw a lot of it as almost the best way to phrase this is almost a new religion. People people's religion was this this new ideology is that I am the god and I am you must obey every single thing that I say and every single thing that I do. And if you have any difference of opinion, you're a horrible person. And they did for time make me feel like I was a horrible person for not accepting the fact that you can magically transition and change from one sex to the other. And I know that it's not true. And I understand people can express themselves any way that they wish. And I don't disagree with that. You can express your, change your clothes. You can grow your hair longer. That's fine. But to suggest that you're, biology is different 
I just don't think that that's really possible. Mm-hmm. And we're hearing stories of people who have transitioned after identifying as transgender, even ha- going through double mastectomies and outright so-called sex changes, top surgery, bottom surgery, puberty blockers, who they're going through this at 12, 13 years old, a few late years later, change their mind. And as they're trying to unravel this, they face the reality, I can't have children, most likely. I don't even know if puberty will continue to finish uh, for my body because I blocked it from occurring. I'll never be able to nurse children. Some people have to go to the bathroom in a bag outside of their bodies for the rest of their lives. And the reality of this no one's talking about. We're going to post links in the episode notes to some of these topics. We've talked here on Trending to people who are plastic reconstructive surgeons talking about the reality of what top and bottom surgery are, what the reality of testosterone blockers and vice versa are doing. And so as you share this, I appreciate what you're saying, Paula, because you're saying, yes, my Catholic faith is forming this, but it's also consistent with biology that we see. And I love that about our Catholic faith, Paula. Our faith is so scientific and it is prophetic as it holds to naturally held truths that over and over again are proven by science. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I've always I've always said to people. And, and I think as this has gone on, I've noticed the Catholic response to it has been stronger. But really at the beginning when this happened, a lot of us myself included, didn't know how to react to this, didn't know how to balance the wanting to be loved and and wanting to care for others and wanting to wish the best for other people in the world and, and just, you know, sharing love, but also balancing what the truth is. And I think I had a really hard time balancing those two aspects of our faith and of our religion to to come to what I should believe about this. So that was definitely very challenging, and I and I and I understand if other Catholics are in a similar situation to really just know you have to just trust your heart and trust your instinct and know and know that that the truth is important. Mm-hmm. And Jesus Christ said, "Know the truth, and the truth will set you free." And I think sometimes we're afraid of that. We think if I speak up for the truth, I will be persecuted. And there's such a thing as persecution. I imagine you are experiencing this significantly. It's a topic I would love to discuss with you on another day because there are so many elements to this, including the women's movement. So talk to me a little bit about why you don't think that men, even men who identify as women, should be competing in women's sports. Yeah, um, obviously men and women are different. Um, On average, men are taller, have larger hearts have bigger lungs uh have um their their actual bodies are their their hips are narrower which actually results in being a little bit more hydrodynamic so particularly in swimming men have that advantage of just getting through the water and because in the women's hips are, are wider to allow for childbirth uh, and that's just the reality in those certain things which I'm grateful for to be a woman and to have those wonderful gifts to be able to create life and things like that. Um, but they, in reality, they just make us slower at sports. And that's and that's a sacrifice I'm willing to, to have for these other gifts that we get of being women. But it's just the reality and it's just the truth. And if people aren't willing to accept that, um, then I can only pray that they might someday realize, of course, men are, are going to be more competitive at any sport. Mm-hmm. And what you just said is so significant, and people want to deny this, yet neuroscientists today are being called neurosexist, chemists, people who dive into biology, and all these different areas of medicine, psychology, sociology, 
they point to the truth of the biological reality in every single cell every cell of the human body has sex differences written into it and we're not just talking about medication being given based on weight but medications where people are responding differently based on whether or not they're male and female and how the brain functions it's absolutely fascinating to get into the science of how truly wonderful it is to be a woman or to be a man and to have strengths and differences because of those differences. Now, something I want to talk a little bit more about, because you have so much on your plate right now, you, over the last couple months, decided to speak up. May I ask, a, I think a key question that a lot of people want to know, what made you decide to start sharing your story and speak out against this issue? Yeah, so in the year after graduating to, to now, when I spoke out, it was about a year, uh, 2022 is when I graduated. I just thought that I would be distant from the situation and I would move on with my life and I would go do everything I had planned and not think about it. But thinking about what happened kept me up at night. Thinking about the other girls that this is happening to also hurt my heart a lot. I I did think for some time that my, my team and my experience was an isolated incident, but in the year that I was out of college, I saw this was happening to so many other girls in so many other sports. And I couldn't stay quiet. And I knew that we had a very unique situation that the perspective of what we went through in terms of silencing and not just the unfair competition was really important to share. And I knew that I had to use my voice and I, and I took a lot of it to prayer and I was having a hard time actually at my corporate job. And I up at night and I say, no, oh, God, like show me the way. Um, and he did, and in, in a lot of this prayer, he did actually lead me to telling me it was time to publicly speak the truth. Um, and so I'm, I'm very thankful for, for him deciding that this is what I should do with my life and what I should work on. Um, but it definitely did take a lot of self-reflection. And in some ways, I am glad I had the time to think about it and to really take some of the anger that I felt about the situation mm -hmm. out of the mm -hmm. equation because there there was some anger and there was some anger that was maybe placed at some of the wrong people so i i'm really grateful for having the time to personally reflect and and work on you know what's next and how to not feel angry about these situations but how to fight for what we want next and what we know is the truth it's incredibly uh, profound and mature to pull back, give yourself time to heal, to really think about this, and then to answer the call. Because uh, you are a unique voice, one of the only voices that can speak the way you are. Being one of the teammates of Leah Thomas, I'm talking to Paula Scanlon, who is a swimmer at Penn alongside Leah Thomas, who is a man competing with women. I hope you listen to the full interview, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. I have one last question for you. You know, there's a lot of debate surrounding this topic. And I know as you share more and more of your story of being a teammate of Leah Thomas, what's something that people don't know about the entire swim team situation with Leah Thomas there at Penn that people don't know that you'd like people to be more aware of? Yeah, something I think isn't talked about enough is really how this one person making a decision affected so many different people. Um, and people always try to make the argument that there is such a limited number of transgender athletes. And while that's true, my entire team was torn apart over this. We were fighting each other about this. There were people who agreed. There were people who disagreed. There was backstabbing about people who had 
Like I would tell somebody my opinion and then they would go talk to somebody who disagreed and tell them that, oh, Paula is this horrible person, even though they agreed with me. There was a lot of backstabbing of trying to say that they supported Leah to, to seem like they were a good person. They wanted to virtue signal. And just challenges throughout. And this affected all the people in our entire league. Um, every other Ivy League school also had challenges. All girls swimmers from Harvard were told certain messages about what they could and couldn't say about the situation. It really rocked the entire swimming world. And there were hundreds of girls affected by this. And again, it was a situation that could have been easily avoided if the rules were fair and just. But they weren't, and instead they decided that for the sake of one person, hundreds of people had to be affected. Paula, that's profound. One person making a decision impacted many other people, and negatively. It shows the responsibility we have for the decisions we make, and I'm proud of you for speaking up, because I think a lot of people want to be silent on this issue, but because you're speaking up, you're helping to create awareness. I know you're helping even just in the state of Texas. There is recent news surrounding transgenderism and the impact it's having on everything from sports to children. So keep up the great work. Thank you for what you're doing. That's Paula Scanlon. She's Catholic. She was a swimmer alongside so-called Leah Thomas at Penn State as he tried to compete and did compete and beat out women for women's titles and championships. So we'll have to talk to you more soon, Paula, on this issue because it's so important to protect women's sports, to protect men and women in locker rooms and safety, and to address the truth of the matter, that there's such a difference as male and female. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back. If you missed the interview with Paula Scanlon, she was a swimmer at Penn alongside the man who called himself Leah Thomas competing against women in women's swimming, women's sports. So incredible testimony. She's Catholic. She she gets it. She gets the situation. She, you know, I think is doing such a great job in speaking out alongside other people such as Riley Gaines. And we need to really spread the word about the story, the discomfort, the reality of women having to be in a locker room with a six foot something man getting dressed. I mean, she shared her testimony here and I hope you will listen to it and share it with other people who are on the fence on this issue. So relevantradio.com forward slash trending or the Relevant Radio app to share that. It's the feast day of St. Edishstein, also known as St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. We were talking earlier about what she says with regard to emotion and how important it is to develop emotional integrity. And I want to tie that into what Pope St. John Paul II says about women and the sense of self-discovery as he discusses in Catechetical Talk 17 in the Theology of the Body as we work through this series that we've been unpacking. I hope you'll join us. All the podcasts are up at relevantradio.com forward slash trending as we unpack this very rich text. It's an answer to the crisis of our culture today. So prophetic. Pope St. John Paul II says that a woman finds herself when she has been accepted in the way in which the Creator willed her. So in other words, A woman comes to a sense of self-discovery when she both accepts herself and other people accept her as she is, as God created her. And that starts first with being biologically female, embracing exactly who and what she is. 
In other words, Pope St. John Paul II goes on to say that a woman finds herself namely for her own sake through her humanity and her femininity. So first understanding she shares a common human nature that we all share, but in a personal way, she, myself as a woman, as an individual person, is a woman, is feminine. And that, that femininity is a part of who I am that I need to embrace and that other people need to embrace and acknowledge in order for me to understand myself. That's by understanding ourselves in terms of our God-given identity, our biological reality. That is the starting place. It's there, Pope St. John Paul II, that she, Pope, sorry, it's there that Pope St. John Paul II says that a woman comes to her innermost depth of her own person. That's where we penetrate, in other words, to the depth of who we are as women. And Pope St. John Paul II says that this is how we come to a full possession of ourselves. And I think this is so important. When I was talking about what St. Edith Stein said about emotional integrity and how important it is that we have a sense of self-possession, of self-understanding, of aligning ourselves with reality that starts with our physiology, our biology, and that allows us to exercise self-control in how we interact with other people. But that begins with knowing ourselves. And there's truth written into our body. Pope St. John Paul II says it's then when there's a sense of self-understanding that's affirmed by our own understanding of ourselves and by others and how God willed us to be, that through that, that's when we as women can offer who and what we are in totality, he says, through the whole truth of our humanity as women. And he says, in reality, this is done through a woman's body, including her sex, and through her femininity. And so what he's saying is that essentially on everything that we do as women, there's a stamp of our femininity. There are things that only we can do as women. There are things and ways in which we only communicate as women. Radically different. Tying this back to St. Edith Stein as we were talking about her earlier. Something I love and I think it's so providential that St. Edith Stein and Pope St. John Paul II were speaking and writing at the same exact time during World War II about things that even line up directly, sometimes even phrases that they use that were so in line with one another. Something St. Edith Stein says about women is that women in every area of society, whether we're involved in the family, in the workforce, even among strangers, that women help in preventing the atrophy of the people around them, that women help in caring and nourishing the individual in a way that prevents the human person from imploding. And that is a distinct contribution we have today to offer in society, to speak truth with emotional integrity and in a way only we can as women, and that this is done through affirming our femininity and others doing the same as our God-given identity.